All right, good afternoon, everybody. Sunday here, and we're going to do something a little bit different than what we had planned. We're going to save the 15 and 60s for tomorrow because didn't have quite enough time to get the level of research that we wanted to do for you. So instead, what we're going to do is look at something that came to the fore last year around this time, and that's veteran extension candidates. You'll recall that last year before the trade deadline, Lou Williams was assumed to be a trade candidate with the Clippers, ended up signing an extension. Now he's uh, remained with the Clippers since then. And there are a lot of pretty interesting candidates around the NBA. I think first, though, Danny, it would behoove us to just talk about the extension rules in general and then just set some general principles for what kinds of players, even within those rules, are more likely uh, to be extended. But why don't you just tell us what the rules are as far as just what you can pay guys and what contracts are eligible to be extended in the middle of the season like we are right now? Yeah, it's a fascinating set of players because there are a couple prominent groups that are not eligible right now. So one is the rookie scale extension. So you could think of Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, those types of guys. Obviously, those guys both signed their extensions, but Tyus Jones or any number of other guys like you, you can't, I don't know why Tyus Jones came to mind. Those guys cannot sign extensions right now. Also, players with multiple years left on their contracts, the one that sticks in my head is Draymond Green, they cannot sign extensions once the season starts. So the players that are still left are veterans, guys that are not on rookie scale contracts that are extension eligible, meaning their their contract that they're working from is long enough that it qualifies as extension eligible, and that will be free agents at the end of this season. So a good example of that is Spencer Dinwiddie, who's already signed an extension. So he he was on a three-year contract. He had to sign, he signed on the, I believe it was the second anniversary. He signed a couple days after that. That's when he was eligible. And because it was a three-year contract, he was eligible to, to re-sign with the Nets. And then the money part of this is important too. So there are two numbers to consider. So one is anybody can get a 120% raise on their the last year of the, of their salary before the extension kicks in. Or you can get what we always refer to as the Josh Richardson, which ties to the estimated average player salary. So for next season, and this is what Dinwiddie got, that's going to be $10.6 million as the starting salary. So if a guy's making $2 million, but is extension eligible, that is the highest number that he can get. The only exception to those, you get whichever one of those numbers is bigger, 120%, or that $10.6 million, unless the 120% pushes you over your maximum. And because salaries have risen so much over the last few years because of the salary cap, nobody's really in play for that. In fact, some of the best guys, the extension rules hurt them because 20% isn't enough. Yeah, we can talk about that a little bit more as we go through the teams here. I think that's probably the easiest way to do this is to just go through each team and say, hey, who are the potential candidates for these teams also worth noting you know guys who are on rookie scale contracts cannot be extended but if like say josh richardson or norm powell in past years you're on your first contract but you either were a free agent you're a second rounder then you still can be extended if that contract is three or more years and you're in the last season also some of these guys might have a player option or a team option coming up as well that can either you can either build the extension off of that or you could turn down actually i think you would have to decline the option if you wanted to do the the extension now because if you opt in then it's a, you're not in the last year of your contract and you could only do that before the season started so let's yeah. uh talk a little bit just to, about what sorts of players are actually probably first off really what team and players are trying to accomplish here like what is the sweet spot in a deal and i think clearly what you're doing with an extension is you are taking the risk off of the player and putting it onto the team 
So it is rare, unless it's a guy who's a clear max level of talent who isn't going to be giving up any money. Generally, that player is going to have to take a little bit of a discount over what they might expect to get on the open market because there's a lot of uncertainty there, right? Number one, the market may not play out the way you think it's going to. And this market is going to be a very interesting one. There's more cap space than what there was last year, but there's so many players on one-year deals that it could still be a little bit more team-friendly of a market than you might expect. So where the music stops, how many chairs are left at that point, you don't exactly know, especially this far out. So that's there's uncertainty there in the market. Some guys may get paid more, some guys may get paid less. Also unclear exactly you know who is really going to be valued around the league, who isn't necessarily. Then there's also the risk of a performance decline. There's the risk of injury as well. So if you're a team, you generally only want to do an extension if you're getting a little bit of a deal. The exception to that is when you say, well, this guy, we're worried he might want to leave, so let's lock him in now. But generally, the kinds of players that we're looking at who are extension eligible at this point, that don't really fall into that category unless they're they're really young players. But uh, So that's generally, you're going to have to take a discount off what you think you're going to get, but it can be tough. And then you also look at another complicating factor, which is, some of these teams want to use cap space and these players have small cap holds and so they wouldn't want to do an extension like TJ McConnell for example comes to mind as an example there. There are also the teams that want to maintain flexibility yeah. so maybe you could even it's true that even if they sign it lower than their cap hit it locks in that money you can't renounce that player and so and you functionally you can't really trade them for a while either I'm trying to remember what the exact rules are there for, for guys that extend so late yeah. Yeah, into it's, the season. it's six well, months. But six if months. You, if you extend for more than two years and uh, greater than uh, 105% of previous salary, that's the Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. The extend and trade. Yeah, so yeah. so that's, that's another thing. I mean, Lou Williams, for example, signed his, I think in February, his extension, and then could not have been traded until August because he signed a, a three-year extension. Um, I think it's also useful to just go through some of the veteran extensions that we've seen under this new CBA that have opened up the extensions a little bit more. At least now you can get the 120%. You can you can build off the average estimated average player salary back under the old CBA in 2011. You know, if you were making the minimum, you basically, it was like, you know, 105% of that was all you could start at. So that really wasn't realistic. So here are the noteworthy extensions. Dinwiddie, we mentioned, he was one of these guys who was making the minimum, they paid him the most that they could in the first year. That's $10.6 million. You're going to hear that number a lot as a potential starting point. Dinwiddie did three years, $34 million, So he got the maximum raises possible off of that $10.6 million to start. But he does have a player option for himself on the third year. So it's a two plus one for $34 million. He'll be 25 at the end of this season. So that would allow him to get back into the market at 27. So that one, I think, was a situation where the team and player maybe both acknowledged that if Dinwiddie continued at his current level of performance, made it to the open market, he probably would be worth more than that. But considering that he's made very little money so far in his career, been a minimum player his whole career, he decided, well, I want to lock in some life-changing money now. 
I'll give the Nets a discount. And for the Nets standpoint, they also wanted to use cap space this offseason. He would have had a minimum cap hold. So for them, he had to take a discount for it to be worth it for them. But then it's a shorter deal, so he's able to get back onto the market and hopefully get a mega deal two years from now. So that was the thinking there. Um, and, and we've seen similar contracts for Norm Powell. He got the four for 42 million. Josh Richardson, four for 42 as well. I think both those guys have a player option on it their last year. But those are also guys who are coming off of their first contracts, have been making the minimum the whole time. They still had a year to go beforehand. Richardson, and, and you see it now just in those two examples, how you put the risk onto the team in some ways, right? Like Powell, if he had just made it to restricted free agency last year, no way he gets four for 42, right? So as the, because he didn't play that much last year, they had other guys who came in ahead of him, um, Wright and Anobi, those guys outplayed him. They were further in the rotation. So Toronto's actually kind of stuck with that deal a little bit. It doesn't look as good. Whereas Richardson, he's totally outplayed that deal. And, you know, if he were to be a free agent this uh, summer, you know, he'd probably be getting 20 million a year, if not more than that. So uh, you, you see kind of some of the differences there. Another interesting one, Danny, is Kevin Love. Right. So Kevin Love signed a veteran extension this league year, but earlier in, earlier in the league calendar. And he got four years, $120 million, starting with his age 31 season, which is, you know, because that'll kick in for next season is the new money. And they, Kobe Altman and Love, they structured it so it's not just going up every year. It, it, I think it goes up and then it declines up again, like it kind of has a trough. And, you know, that was, you could say it was, it ended up being a lot of risk mitigation for Kevin Love. Obviously, his injury had not yet occurred, but I mean, we, who knows what he would have gotten as a free agent and the Cavs want, you know, with the departure of LeBron James, they wanted to to lock in a, a star and everything, you know, like a of, of centerpiece, I guess you could say. And they also, remember, extended Larry Nance, but that wasn't a veteran extension. So they kind of solidified their big man rotation and we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, another interesting one. I mean, I I have a, an idea of how it's going to turn out. Starting his age thirty one season at thirty million a year is not going to be too great for Kevin Love. One that's looking a little bit better, although we didn't think so at the time, was Lamarcus Aldridge. You recall that he opted into this season, which would have been the fourth of that four year deal he signed in the summer of twenty fifteen at twenty two point three million. Then he and the Spurs built 120% off of that to get to 26 million next year. And then it declines to 24 million in his age 33 season, or I'm sorry, age 34 season, and only 7 million of that is guaranteed. So we thought that was kind of an interesting decision there. The Spurs locked in. Aldridge was playing terribly earlier this year. He's been great the last month and a half or so now. Uh, had a career high just uh, last week. So that's one that's looking okay for the team. The Love one is not looking so good for the team. The Powell one is not looking good for the team. Although he's playing well now, maybe if he had played more, it would have looked fine for them. Uh, another one is Lou Williams. Started this year at age 32. Three years, $24 million. The third year is totally non-guaranteed, or, or it might have like a million guaranteed or something like that. Um, so that one's looking okay for the team now. He's maintained his level of performance uh, as a, a six-man so those are really the key extensions that we've seen so far. And just interesting to keep all that in mind as we go through this exercise of which ones have worked out, which ones haven't, and kind of what the market has been. You know, Love and Aldridge are maybe in, in a different category than any of the players we're going to talk about here because those are guys who were playing at an all-star level at the time of the extension and also were making enough money already 
that you could realistically build an extension whereas guys like you mentioned Kemba Clay Tobias Harris like those guys probably aren't quite making enough money um and, and in fact have turned down extensions so Love and Aldridge I mean I think those extensions of the guys playing at the all-star levels those are the ones that are, could be most likely to burn a team because you think oh he's an all-star he's about to be a free agent we got to get this guy locked up I mean that seemed like what the thinking was with Love but I think teams generally miss on how quickly those sorts of players you know maybe not your absolute total superstar players but you're kind of you know lower end all-star players age but you know Aldridge is working out so far love seems somewhat unlikely to do so uh yeah. Uh, I want to I want to do a couple other quick pieces sure. of business before we get into the meat of this. So one is we've talked about the four year forty two million. That's what Josh Richardson and Norman Powell got. That equivalent this year is forty. It's four years forty seven point five million in new money, just because the average player salary has gone up. So that is the most for a lot of these guys that they could get over four years. And so for extensions, you can add five seasons. Like there can be it can be a five season extension, but you have to count the remaining years on the contract. So other than designated players, which are you can't do right now that's all you can do so you can only add four years of new money and that's so for some players i mean a lot of these guys have a lot a vast majority of them have well almost all of them have full bird rights so theoretically if the team is willing to offer a fifth year that is one difference between them but for a lot of the guys that we'll discuss four years is plenty if depending on the price we've been talking a lot about teams potentially overpaying for players already in this episode and just like in free agency there's no reason to overpay for clothes you wouldn't buy a t-shirt for 50 bucks if you knew it only cost seven dollars to make and at everland you're never gonna have to overpay for quality clothes they want you to know exactly what you're paying for and why you're paying they tell you what their real costs are they're radically transparent about every step in their process the materials they use the ethical factories that they work with these clothes look better they cost less and they last longer the the essentials that they have are fantastic their cotton crew t-shirt exactly what they should be simple stylish high quality i got a bunch of their stuff before I went on my honeymoon, really enjoyed their mid-weight drawstring, seven-inch short. Got a number of their seven-inch shorts, actually, for my honeymoon. My wife said that she liked those. It's a little bit of a style adjustment for me since I grew up in the 90s with, like, baggy, long clothes. But uh, I'm starting to embrace it. Some of the other stuff that they have that's fantastic, their cotton basics, obviously, are fantastic. They use premium Japanese denim when I was in Japan on the honeymoon. I was really impressed with Japanese denim that's made at the world's cleanest denim factory. And they even make outerwear from recycled water bottles. Check out their collection at everlane.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about it all the time here on the program. That's everlane.com slash capspace. And you can get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash capspace. Let me know what that slash capspace URL that you came from us. All right, so I think the way to do this is to just go through the teams in alphabetical order and see some of these teams just won't be looking to do this. But I think it's interesting to just look at all of these teams and say, all right, who would be eligible? Why would you do it for some of these guys? Why wouldn't you? The only guy that really pops out to me as a possible candidate on the Atlanta Hawks would be Jeremy Lin. He would be eligible on, on a three-year deal, but at age 30, Hawks are kind of in a rebuilding situation. There's talk that they may trade Lin. In fact, there's a, a rumor, I think it was Sean Devaney who had this, that uh, they're looking for a first-round pick for Lin. We'll see if they can get that or not. I'm guessing probably not, but it's uh, 
maybe if they take some bad money back they could so the hawks though going to be a cap space team again next year it looks like they're kind of in bad contract taking on mode they brought lynn in to be a mentor to trey young but young in theory will be ready to handle the reins even more next year so i don't see any really path uh on the hawks and, and he's just about the only guy i can think of uh he may in fact be the only guy in their whole team who's eligible right now i believe that he is because they have all these shorter term contracts you can think of like Dwayne deadman and then they also have a lot of players on rookie scale contracts because of the first round picks they've had in recent years we can move on to one of the more interesting ones for me in the league though i'm guessing it's just not enough it's it's not enough for him to do it with marcus morris so marcus morris is on the celtics starting on the celtics only making 5.4 million this year so that means he can jump up to that 10.6 threshold but i don't you know that might end up being something like boston would offer you know in that range for however many years they were comfortable with just to lock in another key contributor and they have it costs ownership more money obviously to retain morris but it doesn't really sacrifice any flexibility unless they're really being cognizant of the tax so i think morris should consider this more heartily even though the forward supply is limited but i mean if he thinks he's going to have a good end of the year and there are so few forwards maybe he could even build his leverage with the celtics as well this is a really interesting one i i would think very seriously about at least trying to make an offer for morris if i were the celtics now morris is having by far the best season of his career he can defend his position he's shooting the shit out of it this year he's over 60 percent true shooting he's even taken a starting spot away from gordon hayward or jalen brown whoever you want to say he's taken it from and so he's certainly playing at a starter level right now and at his position that's a, a very valuable player but he's never been at this level before as a shooter he's gonna be 29 this offseason so uh, i would think in general just on the open market three or four years in the 10 million a year range you know maybe you would compare him to like where a jared dudley was in the summer of 2016 that was a more forgiving market than this one will be more is probably a better player than dudley certainly having a better year this year but that's kind of the range and so i think if i were him especially if i could get that fourth year maybe get a player on the option on the end i would consider that deal and he hasn't made that much money in his career either. But for the Celtics, really the only way you can do this with their luxury tax situation coming up, where they're going to be deep into the tax, is you have to get him on something that's a clear value in a trade. He probably also isn't going to be useful in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. Maybe he could be, but even if you signed it now, you couldn't trade him for six months. So that would be a little bit after the transaction period unlikely that he's going to get traded right now of course so i i am guessing that the way morris has played that he wouldn't be even if they offered him maybe if they offered him the fourth year he might take it but they would be fools to do that i think at this point given all the young talent they have at his position and the fact that you're paying for a career year type of level so if you could do something along the lines of like a three years 24 million i mean remember that's what lou williams got you know and lou williams has been a much better player than morris up until this point in their Lou Williams was the best player on the Clippers right. last year. Now Lou's a little older, to be sure. Yeah. Uh, but so I think anything more than that, I probably wouldn't be interested as the Celtics. And I'm not sure there'd be a deal here to be made because Morris is probably thinking, you know, I could get 15 million a year. And he might be right about that. We'll, we'll see. Um, and and Morris is also one other thing to consider, considering we're talking about the Boston Celtics here, is the Nene test. Because there is a possibility if you signed him early enough that you could you include his salary in 
a trade for a player who's more expensive, let's say a certain guy in New Orleans, theoretically. And they would have to wait, you know, like it might be one of those circumstances where you kind of agree to terms and then it doesn't actually get consummated until later in the offseason. But if but that would basically require Morris being a contract that a potential trade partner in that sort of a combination deal would be happy with because they're not going to just take on, oh, great, 40 million for Marcus Morris. That's like if they don't like that number, then it hurts the deal. So, but I think that would be the type of range there that we'd be talking about. And I think the uncertainty in the market for more. So then, I mean, also we talk about the team being on the hook for the performance decline. No way, I think, even just for the rest of the year that Morris plays this well, not to mention over a three-year, four-year type of, of extension there. But again, that's he's a really good example of some of the analysis that you have to go through here uh anybody else in the celtics i think that's that's it at this point in time right that is it at this point in time we can move on to the brooklyn nets their most logical player already signed yeah. his was well, Ky- Kyrie Irving have... technically would be eligible uh but if he declined his option yeah but but, but... He, he's gonna get a max deal and they couldn't pay him yeah. enough 120 percent yeah be enough. technically horford is is theoretically eligible too but it's the same constraints or similar constraints yeah that's that's one where hey you know maybe an extension wouldn't be completely insane there well but. but there's there's a problem with it i think it's in i don't remember the exact thing with this i, I could check larry coon cba faq is great on this i believe if a player declines his option to facilitate an extension there are restrictions on how on i think they have to get a raise because otherwise it's kind of perceived as circumvented yeah. there's some weird well thing and, and horford too i mean he may just opt in for 30 right. million next year it may may not make a ton of sense for him brooklyn i think they're jared dudley technically could be one um but with brooklyn trying to use cat space they've already cut into that by about 10 million now with the dinwiddie extension i don't see damari carroll also would be eligible as well but other than that uh, kenneth farid would also be eligible but i don't see brooklyn cutting into their cat space anymore to bring any of these guys back uh so charlotte don't really kemba walker just the most they can offer him is 14.4 million to start that's not going to get it done um anybody else that pops out to you there i don't really see anybody in particular well there's a chance with jeremy lamb so yeah. Lamb is extension eligible this is his age 26 season he would be eligible for that 10.6 million starting salary i i could see something happening there i mean he has a, a a consistent starting role unless the hornets draft somebody at his position that will probably be there granted shooting guard is a very scarce position right now but i could see him mitigating some risk and just saying hey i'm happy here i'm getting regular you know i'm starting and pl- had the be- he's having the best season of his career so it's it's possible 10.6 million i i think that that's a range where he should be seriously considering a deal if the hornets are willing to do it but the reason why the hornets might be reticent here is the uncertainty with kemba walker that do they want to commit to multiple years of jeremy lamb at that kind of money and then if jeremy lamb if kemba stays and you have to pay him a ton of money then that pushes you into luxury tax land and then you have to start shedding other money and you know you could argue that jeremy lamb on a value contract if you can get him on one is is that's better to have and then you can just dump somebody else but front office is very rarely handcuff themselves even if they think they can get out of it it's just it's just hard to for mitch kupchak to sell michael jordan on bulls don't really have anyone that is realistic robin lopez could but that's not going to happen he's probably uh seems like a likely buyout uh, or trade candidates uh where do you want to go next here the dallas mavericks have three players who are eligible Wes matthews because he makes so much money there you have the the financial flexibility but dallas looks like they want to maintain their their freedom in terms of spending power whether it's in 2019 or 2020 jj Barea unfortunately just tore his achilles 
as great as he has been over the last few years, just a huge part of their second unit. We're not going to see anything there. And then the most interesting one for them is Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Finney-Smith is eligible for the Richardson Powell, you know, 10.6 starting salary. Obviously, you wouldn't go that high for him, and it would be the same idea of trying to get a value. But maybe there's a chance that he wants some some risk mitigation here, and if you could get him at a rotation player salary for a year or two, or then maybe he considers it. Yeah, this seems like one of those ones with their cap space aspirations. He's going to be on a, essentially a minimum cap hold. It'll be a restricted free agent so they can hold his price down a little bit more. So you're not as worried there as the guy goes into restricted free agency, kind of a lower level restricted free agent. Now, as we get to Malcolm Brogdon, it'll be a little bit different. Uh, but I don't think they're worried about some massive offer for him and his cap hold will just be uh, the minimum plus $200,000, his qualifying offer. So they're not concerned about that either. I don't see a deal there to be done. He probably would be interested in doing one, but I, I don't see why they would want to cut into their cap space for that and there's not really that much upside from the team standpoint of extending him at, at this point in time although i do think he's a valuable player the detroit pistons only have ish smith ish smith could make they could do a starting salary up to 10.6 million so you could there there is theoretically a number in pull like you're not restricted by that but pistons are kind of like the hornets where they're dealing with luxury tax issues and they don't know exactly what they're going to what they're going to have to spend for a backup point guard so i absolutely do not expect a deal to happen yeah and you don't really see any options with denver at, at this point in time either right yeah i mean because Millsap's contract is too short and a, a few of their other guys are just they're not at that place and we can instead jump to the golden state warriors the warriors have clay thompson thompson because he's making about 19 million this year an extension could start at 22.8 million and there have been murmurs at certain moments in time that that might happen it has not yet which means that i don't think it will because as you get closer to the july 1st year changeover he's taking less and less risk and i mean he's going to be a at least get the 30 percent max i think he'll he could get that on a four-year deal from a, a couple of different teams considering positional scarcity and the way his game should age yeah and, so, and to be clear by I the way in by comparison we're talking about that uh 30% max would start at 32.7 million projected yeah. so, so it's, it's just not it, even close yeah. yeah it's not it's not even close and and there is theoretically a chance that he could qualify for the designated veteran but and even then maybe the Warriors wouldn't pay him you know you get into all those sorts of things so at th- there was a time when I thought this was more possible than it is now but I don't expect to see it yeah Houston uh, no uh, viable cans I don't think yeah Eric Gordon still has one more season so he's not available to do it with and the pacers are a really interesting one they have a thaddeus young young you'll recall opted into about 14 million he's having you might say a career year he's gonna be 31 as he reaches free agency here this one there might be a deal to get done the pacers are going to be a team with plenty of cap room but they also have a number of starters. Corey Joseph also falls into this category as well as someone that they might want to bring back. Darren Collison and Bogdanovich are not eligible though because they're only on two-year deals. Uh, so Joseph and Young are interesting ones. And, and while Indiana may have flexibility in cap space, I think that they generally are not huge believers in what they can do with their cap space. And so they might be interested in bringing Joseph and Young back. Um, Joseph to me is younger but also a less valuable player than young is you like young because he can fit next to both sabonis and turner and 
there are a lot of teams that could use him. He's he's a guy that I think you and I have always been higher on than the market has been. So I, I'm very curious to see if the those two sides can get something done or not. Yeah, I mean, I think they have they have the real estate, especially when you consider that that there can be four years. That might be intriguing. I, I don't know if I don't know if the Pacers are willing to go that yeah. far, but just the possibility there, you you create a universe like this isn't like Kemba Walker or Clay or something where the number is just too far away. So you could see it, and then Corey. Well, like, and to be with, clear, with, for Young, you could start him at up to sixteen point five million dollars, yes. and so you know, four years starting at that. That's going to be a bad contract. That would be a little rich for my blood if I'm Indiana. You know, I mean, I think I would want to be doing something in like maybe maybe three years around what he's making now. You know, that that could be something I'd consider. Again, you're probably getting into the back of an end of his career there too. So you're a little worried. I mean, you, you definitely, I, mean, I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, you guys are so stingy. Any contract for a non-star that uh, has a lot of money in it, you guys are not in favor of. But uh, and that may be a reasonable criticism to some extent, but also it's worth noting that in an extension, it really does have to be a little more team friendly to be worth it for some of these teams. Because again, you're taking on the risk of any kind of performance decline. They don't know. I mean, the Pacers, they could be out in the first round. Maybe they could even make the, the East Finals this year. I'm sure that's how they're seeing. I don't see them as an East Finals team, but it's a possibility. So there's so much still to be written with this group that do you want to lock into that? Do you want to have your flexibility? There's a lot of moving parts here, uh, but Indiana is kind of like an undervalued market and Young is kind of an undervalued player. So maybe there is a, a deal to be done with these two. One thing I want to make clear, uh, I don't think we've talked about this yet, for the guys that are still eligible for an extension, so restricting people we already did, they actually can sign an extension all the way until June 30th. They basically, until the league year turns over, I don't expect there to be any extensions in that window as of what we know right now but it will be interesting to see if any of these or you could even have like a kind of a de facto extension with somebody like Thaddeus Young or Corey Joseph where maybe they're talking about it beforehand but they end up at a number that's slightly different or you know they could structure it a little bit differently or something like that so we could see that with Joe and Joseph 10 10.6 well, can, can million. I add on that point I I, I, I sure, keep interrupting you as you really want to talk about Corey Joseph but uh once like once, once the season has ended there's very little incentive for the player at that point to agree to an extension. Yeah. I mean, unless he's just really feeling uncertain about his market. Now, the only time I can recall that we heard about an extension being offered after the season was DeMarcus Cousins. You remember that saga? He ended up signing with the Warriors for just over $5 million for one year. But there are reports that I think it was like they offered, the Pels offered him $20 million a year for either like two or three years, but there was a non-guarantee on the end that that's where they went right after the season was over and Cousins poo-pooed that and as it turned out his market was much more limited than that so but I mean that was a situation where it was going to be a pretty rough market he was already injured so I you'd usually I can't recall ever seeing an extension on a guy once the team season is actually concluded even though you technically can do them. Yeah, I can't I can't recall it. And if anybody has any instances, please let us know because that's always a, a, a data point that I would be interested in. I think we're finally getting to the fireworks factory that is Corey Joseph. What what makes him interesting for me is the uncertainty with Darren Collison because you could lock in Joseph at a number that you're happy with and kind of think about a Joseph holiday 
combination alongside Victor Oladipo, who has taken on such a big set of responsibilities with the Pacers offense. And they already extended Miles Turner. So you, you could kind of make an argument that it'd be better to have a, a, a firmer grasp of the point guard position heading into free agency. They could see it the other way and just say, hey, look, there's a bunch of supply. We like Corey Joseph. He's a wonderful fit for what we're doing, but we're we're not going to commit to a number that is that will end up looking bad on, on, with where things end up going. And so maybe they, you know, they could go after Ish Smith or they could go after any, any number of other guys that are maybe not as good or not as good of a fit. But if the money is significantly different, then you can have have that conversation. Clippers don't really have anyone. Harris it turned down. I think the max they could offer him, which was about four for eighty before the season. If I were him, I might have actually considered that. But he's having a wonderful year. He's going to almost certainly get more than that, unless there's some kind of an injury. Uh, so the most they could have offered him was starting at about seventeen million. Um, then Gortat, they're not going to be interested in extending it with him. Same thing with Boban. They want to use cap space. So it doesn't seem like there's anywhere uh, that they would go in terms of an extension. Lakers, same thing. They're not going to extend anybody. I don't think they even have anybody as a veteran who's eligible. All their guys are on short-term contracts. Uh, Zubac, I think, is the only one who is eligible at, at this point in time. And uh, with him being restricted and having a very low cap hold and being their third string center seems unlikely uh memphis do they have anybody they do they have garrett temple and temple a guy where you know you can get 10.6 million up to there as the starting salary on an extension that's plenty so theoretically it's possible but i think one thing that hurts temple is the addition of justin holiday because who, who maybe they're awful not looking so far by the way yeah but maybe they're not looking to retain both of them holiday is not extension eligible but they will have early bird rights on him so maybe they kind of try to pit that but maybe the the grizzly both sides just like the risk mitigation from temple's perspective he's getting you know starters minutes for them and they're competitive so there's a chance i i think you know it's one of the one of those like probably i think it would be memphis offering a little bit more than i'd anticipate and temple just says fine like i'll, I'll do that deal i don't expect it at all yeah he'll, then he'll be one 33 this offseason too yes yeah so i mean you could see a maybe like a one or two year kind of add-on something like that and then for me one of the more compelling ones in the whole league is rodney magruder the reason why magruder is is interesting is miami has paid their own guys pretty well over the last few years and Magruder, you know, he has certainly has a place in the rotation when he's healthy. But the reason why it might be more compelling is just the idea of risk mitigation from both of their sides, because Miami has a bunch of outstanding salary, and that's why I don't think this deal is going to happen. But if they could get him at a number that they are confident is less than he will get as a restricted free agent in an offer sheet, then at least they know what they're going into the offseason and dealing with when they have all these guys with player options and money owed for multiple years to waiters and Olenek and James Johnson. So it would have to be kind of the, the, this idea of like the double coincidence of wants that each side is is kind of comfortable with with a number that is a little bit maybe off of what the other side is, and so that leads to them in the same being in the same place. So maybe that maybe that happens. I don't expect it though. Yeah, and he's won three and D wing has grown a little bit as a playmaker this season. Also going to be twenty seven though, so this is really his one chance to get a deal. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, if you were them, how much would you offer him in an extension right now? Oh, geez. Well, so it would be less than I, I would expect on the open market. So I would be I would be happy to give him something in the like five million range. I think he's worth that. I mean, he's been he's been I starting think he's more for them than all year. Oh know? yeah, I mean, I think I would think of him more in the eight to nine million dollar range personally, but I wouldn't give him that now with with their pressures. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, and the most that they can offer him obviously is that that four for forty seven. 
that's one where i think they'll be hoping that restricted free agency reduces his price also one of the ones given how old he is where restricted free agency is uh, pretty unfair to him with this, this maybe as one chance to get paid i think that you know he he's another guy who could just be undervalued by the league but yeah as a quality defender who can hit some threes and handle the ball a little bit playing 25 30 minutes a game on the wing you know i mean that's like a a 10 million dollar a year player at a minimum you would think so uh i would consider something in that maybe not the full four for 40 uh four for 47 but something pretty close to there and i it wouldn't shock me if he didn't take that i mean i think because he's made so little money in his career he would have to consider it very heavily but this is one of those ones where you just don't know what the market's going to be for him especially because he's restricted i I think i mean if i were his agent i would say yeah take that you know lock that in now but uh you can see that that they maybe their eyes are a little bit bigger than that even we can go to the milwaukee bucks they have two point guards that are still extension eligible eric bledsoe could start at 18 million that's a lot of money and i mean it would depend yeah. on just and, how and we got to talk about these guys ages to 29 i mean that's because that's huge yes. obviously 29 this offseason yeah so bledsoe 29 18 million i'm i'm guessing he expects and hopes for for more than that but you know maybe you could you can get there and then malcolm brogdon former rookie of the year he is eligible for that 10.6 million starting salary at age 26 but there you have different pressures because he is a restricted free agent and has a low cap hold which the bucks might want to wield to their advantage so he would probably have to take a more significant pay cut unfortunately 10.6 million is probably not even enough for him to take a significant pay cut and still accept it yeah brockton has been playing better he's just an interesting fit though not really a point guard you know he had played there shoots it really well from three but not really a very high volume guy not a very versatile jumper not a great player setting other guys up but getting to the basket he's good a burly defender but not one that i would look at as amazing he did a nice job on james harden last week in, in that rockets bucks game but generally hasn't been much above average to me as a defender in his career so far so yeah really difficult to peg his value and he will be restricted the bucks if i think all goes according to plan they'll bring all these guys back and they'll be over the cap and it wouldn't matter if they had extended him but if it doesn't go according to plan and middleton leaves or bledsoe leaves then all of a sudden brogdon's low cap hold becomes important as you try to rebuild the roster brook lopez that can be a free agent as well that middleton is extension eligible but no way he takes that he's going to be making you know probably pretty close to the max you would imagine certainly you would think at least 25 million a year and the most that they could offer him is uh you know about 10 million less than that to start with um so yeah, I, I, you, I would be surprised if the Bucks haven't offered Brogdon the full boat, the four for 47. And it's probably not something that he's necessarily going to take. I think that that number would be a pretty reasonable value for him. That's something that I, I think both sides wouldn't feel shouldn't feel too terrible about but i think especially having been rookie of the year given his age brogdon's uh, may have bigger eyes than that as well yeah and committing to it at this point as opposed to waiting so unless you have more to say on bledsoe we can very quickly brisk past jared bayless who is technically extension eligible don't matter west johnson with the pelicans you know the number is plenty high at 10.6 million i don't expect to see anything and then shake diallo similarly 10.6 theoretical maximum starting salary i don't see the pel with their uncertainty and his restricted status i would be shocked if he got an extension yeah the knicks want to use cap space this summer they're not going to extend anybody Cantor would in theory have been eligible courtney lee not eligible now because he goes for another year i think uh, that's about it uh, for them okc doesn't have any major free agents here 
Yeah, just Abrinas. Yeah, and it seems like he's he's oddly missed a ton of time for personal reasons. I hope everything's all right with him, but certainly with some of the uh, the emergence, some of their other shooting guards, it uh, doesn't appear to be in their plans. He'll also be restricted as well, though he does. I, I would be actually be very surprised if he gets a qualifying offer because he's making like $5 million, so that would be like uh, over $6 million with the 125% of what he was making last year. So he probably will end up being unrestricted. Uh, and another team might want to take take a look at him it seems like he's kind of never really gotten traction in okc though with billy donovan i would agree with that orlando has two extension eligible players that i like though i don't necessarily see extensions happening with them vooch could get a starting salary of 15.3 million I, considering how he's playing I, I would i wouldn't be surprised if he wants more than that vooch is he'll be 28 this offseason okay he'll be 28 this offseason and then you also have terrence ross who, who will also be 28 this offseason and he because he's making 10.5 right now he could get a salary starting at 12.6 the problem there is I, I just think that orlando doesn't really want to commit there maybe if he takes a big discount because he thinks he might get left out of the market but i don't expect to see that yeah either. i think maybe orlando especially with vooch if you could get him on a number that you think would be tradable going forward, we talked a little bit last week about how despite the fact that he's playing as well as he is, he is kind of holds this franchise hostage in terms of picking a direction and ultimately getting to where they need to be. And he's also having a career year. It's hard to expect him to continue to play this well going forward. But I agree with you, starting at around $15 million or so may not be enough for him unless you really go out in terms of years. I mean, the beauty of an extension is you can go, you know, kind of one or two years if you need to. But I, I don't foresee anything happening there. He never gets hurt as well. You know, I think his only major injuries have been like a hand injury. So let's see what the market looks like for him. I mean, that's he's going to be one of those fascinating guys. Philly, they want to use cap space. Nobody really eligible. Butler is eligible, but uh, they couldn't pay him enough as of now. Phoenix, Rashawn Holmes is an interesting one. He will be unrestricted, have a minimum cap hold coming off that hinky special that he signed years ago in Philadelphia. Phoenix has been acting like they plan to use cap space, but they're not really going to have any, uh, especially if they hold on to Kelly Oubre. So Holmes, I could see them maybe doing something with Holmes. I mean, they did invest a second round pick and traded away Jared Dudley for Darrell Arthur, who was then cut to get him. So it does seem like they believe in him in terms of the long-term plans. And I think he's played well there. He struggled defensively, which I think he's always going to do. But he's, he's a solid offensive backup. So, I mean, this is one of those ones where, you know, $4 million a year, $5 million a year could kind of be it. I mean, if you want to compare him to uh, Montrezl Harrell, Harrell's a far superior player to him, I would say. But he's kind of in that mold. I'm just not sure. I mean, you just don't really see extensions get done for three or four million. I think guys want to just kind of get out of the market and see what happens. But uh, that is one to consider. But I would say more likely than not, it doesn't get done, especially because the Suns still seem to look like they want to use cap space, even though it's, uh, again, they're not going to really have enough to give out a significant contract unless things change there. Yeah, especially because their draft pick is going to get some serious coin as well. Something like we saw with DeAndre Ayton, as, as happy as they are to have to get the number one pick. The number one pick is expensive because of the reforms that have, have made high picks more lucrative, their early contract more lucrative. We could skip Troy Daniels. I don't think he's going to get it any any extension. So we can jump to the Portland Trailblazers. Al Farouk Aminu signed one of the best contracts of tw- the summer of 2015. He's only making $7 million this year, so he could get up to that 10.6. I don't know how he's feeling about 
unrestricted free agency. He'll be the, he'll be age 28 this offseason. So this is really probably his last chance for a significant contract and, you know, signed what ended up becoming a value contract in 2015 just because that was the year before everything went crazy. What, so, what would you, you know, offer maybe, him? What would you offer him if you were uh, Portland? Would you give him the full uh, the four for 47? Would you make that offer to him? So- I don't think I would do four years, but I, th- I, I would do something similar. Well, I would do three years, maybe something like Dinwiddie, but I would not give him a player option on that last year. I would yeah. do maybe some sort of maybe i would do the fourth year but it would have some guarantee protection you know whether it's injury or just maybe it's like a third guaranteed or something like that yeah you know he's another one of these guys young what's going to happen to these role players we saw last offseason obviously these role players were getting one year deals nobody was getting even 15 million a lot of them you know i mean even jj reddick was one year 12.5 million last year summer of 2016 obviously you know someone like aminu his established level of performance probably would have gotten 17 million. I mean, look what Evan Turner got it. And I mean, has been better than Turner to me has ever been. Uh, so where is the sweet spot going to be for these guys who have been established starters, late twenties, you know, maybe not just blowing your socks off, you know, or even in, into their early thirties would 10 million a year for a larger number of years be good enough for them. Are there going to be shorter term, like three year deals, but it's going to be 16 million a year. You know, what is the trend going to be? I'm very curious to see that. I don't think anyone really knows the answer to that. And then you throw in too, just how many free agents there are, who are the guys who are going to uh, really get a lot of love or are just the guys at the top of the market, not going to get four-year deals for 15 million a year because there's so many other free agents where you feel like well rather than give out this premium contract for a guy why don't we see if we can replace him for someone you know making seven million a year for two or three years instead they're non-union equivalent we'll see we'll probably see some of those this year and also my my kind of quick thought is that we could see some disparity within this group like guys that strike early getting a lot more than the guys who who miss out on the first round of of money like that could be a really big disparity and then those teams are going to be the teams that went early are going to be kicking themselves up like oh man we could have gotten player x for five million cheaper per year or something like that jake layman i think it's kind of a similar story to some of the other guys we've talked about restricted free agent super low cap hold we don't know exactly what portland is willing to pay with him we don't know what his market is so i would be shocked if we saw an extension likewise especially with them in the tax i mean he certainly would have to establish himself as a rotation player between now and the end of the season take a look at sacramento sacramento now interestingly is the only team that still has cap space about 11 million it seems the direction that they are going jason jones reported over the weekend that they'd had some discussions about auto porter we had previously floated the idea of them maybe taking on porter sending back uh, low enough salary for the Wiz to get out of the tax, but the Wiz are playing okay right now. I don't know that there's that much noise now that they're going to want to just dump Porter. We'll see though. And the, really, the only interesting extension candidate as of now is Iman Shumpert. The Kings could, in theory, use that money to renegotiate and extend someone upward as well, give some more money for this year, but they don't really have anyone who falls into that category. I think really the only eligible guy for them is uh, Shumpert. Is that correct? I mean, technically i guess with kufos but yeah no and 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 so and the other thing yeah the kings have so many guys on rookie scale contracts and you can't do that for those types of players as well so there isn't there isn't really some value add that they can but but it could be i mean one thing they might consider is trying to trade for someone in the last year of their contract and then see if they could renegotiate and extend that player 
because uh, they're going to have more cap space than they know what to do with next offseason. Uh, even with Willie Cauley-Stein's $14 million cap hold, they'll have well over $40 million in space. So you could renegotiate and extend a guy and offer him some more money this year, get him on a lower number going forward, similar to what the Sixers did with Covington last year. And then he, of course, uh, became a nice trade asset for them, enabling them to get Jimmy Butler. So maybe Zach could look into doing something along those lines. San Antonio, they don't really have anyone do that. They don't. Yeah, because they already extended LaMarcus and DeRozan isn't at the right place yet. So yeah, they're they're not they're not there. Um, we can move to Toronto. A former Spur, Danny Green, is technically eligible, but his maximum starting salary would be twelve million. That coupled with the uncertainty of where the Raptors are going to be after this season, I would not expect to see an extension. I hope he what, gets paid what, more than that. Would you? What would you offer them if you could? Would you offer him uh like three years starting at twelve million a year? He'll be thirty two this off season. <sighs> Well, so so you're kind of sitting there going, well, what what happens if Kawhi leaves? And I think that's still a tradable deal. I think he's. Still I do helps too. You yeah, too. I, I would offer. I would offer him that. I love Danny Green. I would. I offer mean, look him that. how good they've been this season when Kawhi hasn't played. I mean, they're still clearly a playoff yeah. team in the East. Um, and they have other guys that could step in and play at least part of that role. And I mean, they could and they could get. I mean, I'm sure. Good, players would take a flyer with them if they if Masai didn't think they had enough answers at the, at the three if a guy who gets left in the cold you're like oh my god I can take a year with the Raptors probably start and build up my resume on one of the like yeah. best teams in the well, league green can even play the three for them as well you know with his, his sure. sets. I mean now of course there's the risk of age and performance decline but I mean to me you know, if you wanted to just say what, how much is Danny Green going to be worth next year, assuming he stays healthy, he's like a $20 million a year player to me uh, next year. Uh, but of course, we've always been guilty of overestimating his value, though I've heard that Green had much bigger offers available than the four for 40 that he took in the summer of 2015 uh, and did not explore those for whatever reason. So we'll see whether he, you know, is he going to kind of still not explore his value? Is he going to feel like he wants to stay in Toronto? That's interesting. But I certainly would make that offer if I were Toronto. You know, the fourth year might be a little ugly, but for the age 32, 33, 34 at 12 million a year, you know, I think that's something that I, I, that is an offer I'd make. I would be very interested to see if that's something that would uh, would resonate with him at all. Yeah, well, it's been a while since we've seen what he values, and that was a different team, a different situation. So that'll be worth keeping an eye on. The Utah Jazz have Ricky Rubio. Oh, but by the way, just Rubio. across the eyes, Kawhi Leonard would be eligible, of course, as well. But same problem, could be eligible for up to $32.7 yep. So he will not be taking an extension. Uh, he is, he will not. I, I believe, if he's not eligible to be traded to extend now he would be pretty soon it would be six months after he was traded which was you know what was that late july so um so yeah i think he's pretty close to being eligible now but yeah so anyway we'll move on to utah here so utah just has ricky rubio oh we could technically mention we forgot because he got he got traded uh, after after i made the list that alec burks is eligible for the Cavs. i don't expect to see a deal done especially with the money they've committed but we can go to his now former teammate ricky rubio rubio will be 28 this offseason and the jazz could through an extension pay him up to 18 million that is I would assume enough for Rubio if they want to bring him back. But considering their flexibility and, I mean, we'll see how Donovan Mitchell plays in this strange time when all three of their point guards are hurt. Maybe they want a different conception of a guard backcourt mate with him but they you know Rubio that there is there is theoretically I think the space for a deal should both sides have an interest. 
Yeah, that seems like one that's going to get to free agency. I think they just, it's too early for them to just know what they are at this point. Uh, even before the playoffs, they'll want to, I mean, Rubio played well against OKC, then had uh, that hamstring injury. So we haven't seen him uh, that much in the playoffs. That was his first playoff appearance. And, you know, we'll see how Mitchell looks at point guard. I mean, he's got 30 points in three straight games now. And not against the greatest competition, but still has looked awesome. I, I am of the belief that maybe playing him more as a point guard it could be good for him. But you do still need one other guy who can handle it on the perimeter. Maybe that's Joe Ingles, uh, but Ingles is pretty limited still athletically. So maybe the thought is if Mitchell can hold up defensively at the two, you throw in another point guard. Uh, yeah, I think there's just enough uncertainty there. Utah may just want to totally reset their direction this summer if things don't go that well and just you know kind of strip it down a little bit more to Ingles, Gobert, and Mitchell going forward here. And then Washington, uh, they will not be extending anybody. Uh, Markeith Morris, technically eligible, makes 8.6 this year. So he would be in that 10.6 range uh, as the most they could give him. But with his injury and just the fact that they uh, are not going to be too interested in adding any kind of long-term salary commitments, it does not appear that they will uh, go in that direction with him. Another guy, though, that... I would want to look into a little bit maybe as Thomas Sadoransky. Sadoransky, another one of these players who is hurt by the ill-fitting restricted free agency rules for older for older guys who come into the league. He is 27 right now. He will turn 28 early next season, but will be a restricted free agent with that super low cap hold. I really like Sadoransky, and I, I think he'll end up being undervalued by the market. But if you can get him at a number you're happy with now, sure. And that number to me, you know, his, he's making it with $3 million, so his qualifying offer will be a little under four. But something starting kind of around there for maybe three years, especially, you know, I think he'd be tradable on that. Uh, John Wall, at a minimum, is going to be playing a lot fewer minutes coming back from that surgery uh, to remove the bone spurs near his Achilles and, you know, has had a number of surgeries already. All right, you want to hit some news here real quick? Let's see if we can, there's nothing too crazy. So I think we can kind of run through these relatively quickly. Yeah, so I think we could start in Chicago. I was there when the Bulls got absolutely crushed by the Golden State Warriors, and then the next morning they announced that Jim Boylan got a pay raise for both this season and next season. For those who remember, he was already under contract as an assistant head coach for next season, and now one million of his one point six million for the nineteen twenty season is guaranteed. Well, and that's not ridiculous. I mean, we saw the same situation with Larry Drew where he got paid more and it seems unlikely Drew will be retained after this season, given how things have gone in Cleveland with uh, the worst defensive rating relative to league average, I think that we've seen. But, you know, with only a million guaranteed next year, it wouldn't preclude them from going in another direction. But it seems more likely, given the Bulls' history, that they would love to just have a head coach under contract for $1.6 million. Given the fact that I'm not really aware of any coaches who are hired for the first time that are like make less than like 2.5, that's a screaming deal for the Bulls. But they'll, of course, still be paying Fred Hoiberg for next year. So might have to pay three coaches. Uh, in Atlanta, Torian Prince has been upgraded to probable uh, about to play during the Bucks. He'll We'll know whether he played, obviously, by the time you guys listen to this. And Dwayne Dedman has been ruled out for that game against the Bucs. He's just had a ton of lower body injuries in his Hawks career. This is an ankle sprain for him. They've been a lot better when he's been healthy, though. Uh, I think he's been a part of their recent surge. Boston Aaron Baines had that hand injury against the Suns. He's expected back in the next week or so. They have certainly missed him defensively. Uh, Tice just isn't strong enough to deal with a lot of the other larger centers. You know, we saw like what Embiid did to him on Christmas, for example. And then Jared Dudley, 
missed Friday's game with a hamstring injury, had an MRI. He's started rehabbing it, but it seems like it's going to be, you know, at least a two-weeker or so for him. I haven't seen a specific diagnosis, but generally, if the hamstring issue is bad enough that you have to have an MRI, you have to leave the game, it's it's not going to be a quick return. Larry Nance Jr. has a sprained MCL, so he will be out two to four weeks. That was from January 10th, so a couple days ago. And Kevin Love, his fellow extension partner this past offseason, might not be back until after the All-Star break. So if he doesn't play before the trade deadline, that we can assume that he will be a Cleveland Cavalier then. And we'll see what the goals are. This is It kind of parallels with Love, the Porzingis situation, except that Love is locked into his contract. But the same idea of like, how much do you want to get out there and show that you can play versus worrying about injury and all that kind of stuff. Though, of course, what they're recovering from is, is different. Dallas, J.J. Barea, unfortunately, tore his right Achilles tendon against Minnesota at 34, who has been uh, maybe a little bit less efficient than people were realizing, but a linchpin of that second unit for quite some time, obviously going back to 2011, you'll recall that putting him into the starting lineup was credited with uh, Dallas's surge in that series as they won the final three games. So certainly a Dallas legend, but at 34, injuring at this time, you know, maybe it's possible he could return for the start of next year, but he's due to be a free agent. Maybe he gets some kind of a prove-it deal. Uh, he's also been so active with the Port- Puerto Rican national team. You imagine he'll want to make a comeback to at least, you know, continue to play internationally, but suffering this type of an injury, that level of player at 34, you know, I'd say the odds are probably greater than not that you know this is the last time we really see him playing effective NBA basketball and and that that would be a shame if that were the case yeah one of our favorites to watch and just a maestro in the pick and roll and as as you've said numerous times on including on the NBA cast he's the player that young guys should watch film of and one of those young guys who could benefit from watching some Berea Dennis Smith he has mid-back tightness he did not play he did not even travel to Friday's game against Minnesota and he is questionable for their game on Sunday evening against the Golden State Warriors Yeah, Smith, these nagging injuries for him, I think, have been uh, a problem for him in his development so far. Also suffering from nagging injuries, Juancho Hernan Gomez uh, has uh, been dealing with a a sore groin. And uh, Gary Harris suffered a hamstring injury. He's missed each of the last two games as they lost to the Devin Bookerless Suns on Saturday night. Will Barton did make his debut off the bench against the Suns. Hopefully he can get back into the starting lineup relatively soon. Malone is usually given these guys two, three games uh, before he gets them back in the starting lineup. And then Trey Lyles also didn't play on Saturday. He's coming off of a sprained wrist. Uh, what's going off uh, or going on in Detroit coming off uh, their triumphant win over the Clippers as Blake Griffin dropped 44 on his former team and did not shake Steve Ballmer's hands, although claimed that he just didn't see him. Uh, yeah, that that's just what he always does and that it, he, it, there was nothing additional added to it. Uh, that game was played without Ish Smith. He's still got another DNP, but he says he's getting close, which is good because they can benefit from his play. And Zaza Pachulia, you know, we, we talked about it early on, you know, I missed that game and Baines was, was awful in those first couple games after when, Pachu- when Pachulia went out. He's now missed seven straight with a Lure. right like, John Lure, Lure yeah, is now Lure. the sorry. white backup center on the Pistons who isn't playing very well yeah sorry considering the the B&B losing factor it's, I should have he's been that, a little bit better offensively actually he has, has yeah been. he has um so Patrulli's missed the last seven and we finally have a tentative debut date for DeMarcus Cousins the date they're using right now is January 18th at the Clippers it they're not committing to that all the way right now it could be a game before a game after cousins it sounds like would really like to play their game before because that's against the pelicans and i'm yeah, sure there's that's some, a great some motivation to not, there there, to not play him exactly 
Yeah, and then they play. I think they play the Lakers a couple of days later. If if he's, if Cousins isn't ready for the Clippers, the only thing that we know for sure about his role is that Kerr has said Demarcus Cousins will start, and outside of that, we'll see. In Houston, Eric Gordon seems like he's going to be at least a few more days with that knee contusion, and Chris Paul looking towards the end of January for his return from that hamstring injury, according to. Mike D'Antoni. Miles Turner was able to get in his first practice with that shoulder injury. He said, actually, it's kind of this nerve issue that seems to be waxing and waning. So could be a little bit for him, you would think. And then LeBron, his groin issue has gone on longer than either of us anticipated, obviously. I mean, we were talking about him being back the first week of January from after suffering that injury on Christmas. I mean, he's getting pretty close to almost being a month now. Uh, the next update from him will be on January 16th. He has increased his activity to some degree. Uh, and, and yeah, you, you made the note that his MVP campaign is probably over. I mean, maybe just because they haven't been that good when he's been out, if they just go crazy as soon as he comes back, you know, that could bolster it. But yeah, he's missed a lot of times. I mean, he's kind of in the same boat as uh, Steph Curry. But I mean, this, this is huge. You know, the Lakers, it looks like they're going to going to be around 500 i think there are what three and five maybe three and six since he's been gone so you know if they keep playing at that kind of a level they'll be pretty darn close to 500 once he gets back and also looming is the january 21st date martin luther king day when we will be doing the nba cast by the way uh against the warriors so you know it seems like right around that time is when he could be back but you know coming back against the warriors uh, you imagine he'll be on a minutes limit that might not be the greatest to bring him back against them. Uh, so not great for the Lakers. Uh, and it's looking like the, his absence is going to have them mired at a minimum in the lower half of the Western Conference playoff bracket. And that's going to be in a tougher matchup and situation going forward. You know, who, who they're going to face a good team in the first round. And if they make the second round, they'll be facing a tough team then too. The Memphis Grizzlies are dealing with their own injuries. Dylan Brooks, the only remaining Brooks, had season-ending surgery due to a torn ligament in his right toe, and so so he's out for the year. That and they're also weakening in their perimeter rotation. Kyle Anderson left the, left their game with an ankle sprain. He's going to have an MRI, and so that's another another perimeter player, another part of their forward rotation. I wonder if they have anybody who might be available to to help bolster their rotation now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think I want to say Holiday is like four out of twenty-two since he got there. Um, well, and I was referring to Chandler Parsons. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, he, and I mean, you imagine it's going to be a couple of weeks for Anderson if he had to have an MRI, if he had to leave the game with that ankle issue. In Milwaukee, Giannis Adekupo did not play on Friday against Washington. He will play uh, against Atlanta on Sunday, however. In Minnesota, Robert Covington with that ankle injury, no timetable still for him. Jeff Teague re-aggravated his ankle uh, against New Orleans on Saturday night. Uh, he did play seven minutes in the second half. Uh, Tyus Jones did close the game, though, as they uh, picked up a big win against New Orleans. Carl Towns had 27 and 27. I think he had either nine or 10 offensive rebounds. So those are like, that's like a real 20 rebound game. Uh, and then Derek Rose returned from ankle soreness, played Friday, but sat Saturday. Uh, for New Orleans, uh, aforementioned Nikola Miritich has returned. Played 22 minutes in their win over the Cavs, and uh, the Pels were 5-7 and seven in his absence. Uh, I don't recall whether he started, but he did close the game uh, against Minnesota. So you imagine he'll be back in the starting lineup soon. They were, they were playing him at the 3 uh, with Randall and Davis up front. And then Ichua Moore has had all these weird lower body injuries as a left quad injury, but he came back as well uh, against uh, Minnesota in that loss. 
the Knicks got Frank Nokina back on Sunday in their surprisingly close loss to the 76ers. So he missed three games. Mitchell Robinson could return on Thursday when they play in London. And Kristaps Porzingis is making progress, will be reevaluated mid-February. David Fisdale said, and I quote, we're still being cautious, I would say, but at the same time, just pushing, getting to the next level, jumping and moving his strides and all that stuff. He's in a really a great groove right now with his workouts and his development. Yeah, so, uh, and Fizz, I think, learned his lesson after he said Chris Stapps wasn't sprinting, and then Chris Stapps uh, posted something of him sprinting. And, and there's also a report, I can't recall where from it at this point in time, that there's kind of a disconnect with him wanting to play and the Knicks sort of wanting to have him sit out the rest of the season. Uh, Frank Nilakina should be back uh, on Sunday after a three-game absence with an ankle tendon issue. Sorry if you said that already, actually. And then in OKC, I mean, with that scary Nerlens Noel injury, he's not back yet. And uh, Andre Robertson, it's now been six weeks since he had that sex, uh, that setback with uh, that now, I think he's had three procedures on that torn or, or that knee that had the torn patellar tendon in it. So haven't really heard anything about him making any kind of progress there. Mo Bamba has missed the last two games due to a sore foot. Thankfully, there are no fractures, so they'll be they'll be judicious with it. I mean, I think we have an idea of where this Orlando Magic season is going, and they can be cautious with him, especially because they have so many other big man options. Joel Embiid did not play on Friday due to ankle soreness. He was listed as questionable against the Knicks, but then he ended up starting. So, I mean, I, I didn't get I didn't get to watch that because we're recording, but good to see him back on the floor, of course. Yeah, Devin Booker not back on the floor was ruled out of Saturday's game against Denver a day early which they of course won but it still doesn't sound like he's that close and again with the hamstring issues he's had now lower back really seems like there's no indication even that he's been practicing yet so I think they really really need to take their time on him and then another guy who's just been dealing with some of the same issues chronically Mo Harkless didn't play again on Friday with that sore knee so it really seems like he's going to just continue to be in and out of the lineup all season and I mean it's gotten to the point where with the issues that he's having it wouldn't shock me if he ends up just having to have another surgery after the season like it kind of seems like that's the direction this is going if he just you know they rest him and he thinks he's healthy and then you know he gets more swelling again and has to sit out you know that's never a good pattern to see yeah and Harkless is under contract for the 1920 season so there is an incentive to try to get him right as early as they can in the next season and we just talked about how Alfaro Camino is extension eligible and will be a, a an unrestricted free agent if they don't come to an agreement Rudy Gay is still out with a left wrist issue sounds like he's going to miss multiple games which isn't great and his former teammate Kawhi Leonard left Sunday's double over eventually double overtime game with the Wizards due to a hip issue but he did return later in the game he played through it and then left and the Raptors were without Fred Van Vliet in that one he is dealing with a thigh issue yeah and you'll recall Kawhi missed time with a I think it was a left hip issue he heard it in their game that they lost at home to the Bucks back in December and then he missed a couple of games he missed that Clippers and Warriors game uh, so I, I wonder if this is related to that perhaps a, a re-aggravation Utah we talked about them earlier in the extension portion of the show Ricky Rubio and Tabo Cephalosha both going to miss about two weeks or so since they injured themselves uh, during the middle of last week. Uh, and Tony Bradley, a name that we have not discussed since the summer because I don't know if he's even played. I mean, he maybe played like two minutes or something at the NBA level. He had to have a meniscus trim and debris he hurt himself playing for their G League affiliate, the Utah Stars. He's to be reevaluated a month, but you know, it seems like probably a two-month or for him. Um, 
And then Haul Neto, he's been missing time with a, a groin injury. He's just hamstring groin. Like, he's really struggled with muscle injuries in his last few years as well. You know, he's supposed to be reevaluated in the middle of this week. So, really, you know, it's been Royce O'Neill playing a lot more. They've gone to Joe Ingles uh, handling the ball in the second unit. And obviously, Mitchell has been at point guard. The, the Jazz did at least get Grayson Allen back from an ankle injury. And I think that will do it for us. Anything else we got to talk about before we go? I will mention that my team-based off-season preview stuff for The Athletic is concluding with the, I believe it's the luxury tax teams are the last one, so that'll be, all four will be out by, I think, Monday afternoon, and so you can you can check those out, and I believe there's a, a tag, theathletic.com slash capspace, you can look at the bottom of each piece and it'll go to all of my, we're building an off-season preview page for all of my stuff, and of course there will be a lot more of it coming, and so you can look forward to that, and my Real Jam Radio episode with Sam Vecini is available as well, we talked not as much about Zion and RJ Barrett, but more about guys like Cam Reddish and all that, who actually, after we recorded, had a monster game. So you can listen to that as some context for what he did. All right. Uh, we will talk to you tomorrow night. Till then.